Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Hey, it's Crash Connell, and uh, got a few emails, Mary. What's going on? We haven't had a fresh podcast in quite a while. And so I had to remind everyone that last week was our on-air fundraiser. So we just kind of blocked out the week with replays mm-hmm. and uh, our Q-Drive versions of Stand Up For The Truth. But today is a fresh new podcast. It is October 31st, 2023. And I was going to bring in cupcakes, but I just completely forgot. Because today is Mary Danielson's first anniversary as co-hosting, or now hosting, Stand Up For The Truth. Yeah. Boy, time flies yeah. when you're having fun. It did go very quickly. <laughs> All the snow and ice of winter, and then the heat of summer. I mean, it just, it just, it just flew by. Yeah, we have uh, here in Northeast Wisconsin got a light dusting of snow mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. summer of celebrating Halloween. Yeah. I guess that's going to be where we're going to go today. Yeah, for the first uh, first half at least, I really do want to talk about uh, Halloween. It's also Reformation Day. Um, and I want to do some headlines because as I look, just eyeball a few rockets launched at Jerusalem. Um, Jim Fletcher tells us that a Hamas rocket intercepted near the Temple Mount. Um, they're trying to, Hamas is trying to get a, an offer, a Russia to bite. Um, we will, it says, Hamas offers to trade Russian hostages for weapons so that they can continue to destroy Israel. So it's a free for all crash. Yeah, they're, um, I think I saw it on True Social a couple of days ago where the, they're going to the Pentagon now for help for Israel. Wow. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. It's You never know what you're going to wake up to, but um, I know it is Halloween. It is the day, but I think there is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of things out there that Christians really do need to know. And once you know it, what are you going to do with it? I think that is uh, the important That's our thing. job here yeah. is uh, when God gives you information, uh, you got to figure out how you're going to yeah. respond to it. Absolutely. So if you don't want to, if you want to stay on the milk, you might want to go find someplace else to go right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's dive in. Like I said, 20 minutes or so on Halloween or maybe the first half and then the second half uh, headlines. And there are so many of those. My scripture today is 2 Corinthians four sixteen and 17, which say, Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Yes, indeed, we are perishing, but we have hope. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we know that you desire nothing but good for us, and we rejoice in that. Help us to not lose heart while we are in these bodies, uh, but to remember, Lord, that you are renewing our spirits as only you can uh, through unseen means that we take by faith. We ask that you cause your word to go deeply into our hearts and minds every day until we see your face, until we dwell where you are for all eternity. Lord, we lift up the families and the parents in the church who might need wisdom uh, and those that are listening in. Uh, wisdom and endurance in these times ask that you come alongside them and fill them with the grace to love and protect and nurture your little ones and nurture one another, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, 
October 31st. Do Christians celebrate Halloween? Well, you know, that depends upon whom you ask. As a young parent, uh, back in the 80s and 90s, I never celebrated it, and I did get pushback from relatives saying that I was just no fun at all. But it was never my goal to please anyone in the extended family after I got saved, so there's that. But we did hand out gospel tracts for years um, to the kids. And also, and I think a lot of you can relate to this, we have and continue to resort to hiding in our dark homes. Find a corner, leave all the lights off. Um, I don't really care to be held hostage in my home, but that's kind of what we ended up doing. But I think it's good to approach this subject in a reasoning manner. And like I said, then we're going to go on to some headlines. So, question, should Christians celebrate Halloween? Again, if you ask believers, this one might say sure, and here's why. That one might say no, and here's why. And humans do like to make value decisions based on all kinds of criteria, all kinds of reasons. And and that's a view from the wide angle, but I want to get a little bit closer. As I was saying, back in the early 90s when I was a young parent, I had some documentaries in my arsenal, and one of which was The Pagan Invasion, invasion featuring uh, Chuck Smith, Hal Lindsey, and Carol Matriciana. Uh, Carol, if you don't did not know her, was an incredible, tireless apologist. And she had a film company called Jeremiah Films, and they put out the entire Pagan Invasion series about cults and the occult in the late 80s and early 90s, and I believe some of them are on YouTube. Uh, a lot of you may not have heard of her, but her contributions to the church of that series and the Wide is the Gate 3 DVD series about false teaching are absolute classics. I met her in 2013 at a conference in Arizona, and we talked well into uh, the late, late evening for the first time that we went out for dinner. It was a very memorable time for me. It was such an honor to spend time with her. She was very naturally intelligent and curious and wise and incredibly gracious. Like I said, she went back. To, uh, she went to be with the Lord back in 2016. But I highly recommend not only Why Does the Gate series about false teaching, but her biography out of India. Uh, she was born and raised in India. She was one of the last to be born in British occupied India, and she saw firsthand what a life of Hinduism did to people. And here's just a side note: we met Chris Quintana after seeing his work with her on Why Is the Gate. Now she is all uh, so greatly missed after seven years. But I had uh, several times opportunities to spend time with her. So um, I remember one day she called me up when Tim and I were on the road, and she said, tell me everything you know about transhumanism. <laughs> and that was back in 2015. But what a treasure Carol was to the church. Back to my own history with Halloween. Um, then oftentimes at church we would show the Pagan Invasion Halloween episode. We gave out many uh, copies to families over the years who wanted to decide, uh, what should we do about this holiday or festival? We had a lot of new young parents and a lot of young kids. So this was a priority for us as a church. Um, I think that's a good place to start, watching documentaries about it, researching what solid ministries like the Bree and Call have to say. Um, if you don't know the pagan origins of it, you can't really make uh, at least an intellectual decision. But that's not even the over, overriding criteria because we can justify all kinds of things based on our own understanding, our own experiences, our own reasoning. But what does God think? Well, Halloween originated under the name and it looks like Samhain, S-A-M-H-A-I-N, but it's actually pronounced Sawin. It's a Gaelic term that was said to mean summer's end in modern Irish. Uh, some say it means November, but either way, it represents an end to the daylight months and on to the dark time of the year, a time of death and superstition to early uh, cultures. It started out as a three-day festival created by the Celts in Northern Europe 
It is the occult New Year. It's their New Year's Day. Uh, it stemmed from pagan and supernatural roots featuring animal sacrifice, offerings to pagan gods. Also supposedly on that day, a veil or curtain was said to open between the living and the dead, and spirits of those who died could roam the earth and interact with people. Now, websites that focus on the supernatural or Wiccan cults, witchcraft cults, claim that Sawin is one of the greater demons also under Lucifer and is the god of death. And so this is also today a major Wiccan holiday. The earliest literature refers also to burial mounds being opened, which were seen as portals to the underworld. Now, throughout the centuries, Sawin continued in various forms. And around 600 A.D., Pope Boniface IV declared a new celebration. Initially, he created All Saints Day or All Hallows Day. So we have Halloween, Hallows Eve, and then All Saints Day is All Hallows Day to be celebrated before summer, but then Pope Gregory came along and moved the celebration to fall, so it actually coincided with uh, Samhain. The bottom line is, uh, it is the origin of Halloween. Now you might say at this point that occultism connection is really all that I need to know. Uh, this festival, along with, uh, like I said, the two days that follow on the Catholic calendar, is pagan, and it still includes All Saints Day. We celebrated it. I had 12 years of Catholic education. Um, we celebrated it then. Um, and it actually, All Saints Day is when the Catholics and Orthodox Church celebrate um, all those who are said to have attained sainthood or perfection in this life. Now, in order to be canonized as a saint within that religious system, a person must have facilitated three miracles that can be directly attributed to them. Of course, the Bible does not define saints in that manner. And achieving perfection in this life through works uh, outside the atoning work of Christ is futile. So it's altogether possible that many of these so-called saints uh, have died in their sins. November 2nd is All Souls Day, when those who are living are to pray for the dead. Pray for those in purgatory to get out sooner. Of course, there's nothing biblical there either. So what do we have? We have a pagan celebration of death and rebirth that is not based in reality. We have also one of the most marketable and culturally popular celebrations on the calendar. Adults spend crazy amounts of money, $10 billion a year on decorations for outdoors, some of which are, at least this year, remarkably demonic. Um, there's a home right around the corner from us that really goes all out. I don't, I can't imagine what they spend on this, but, uh, uh, it's, it's incredibly creepy this year. Uh, media co companies also start in September with their horror film marathons, which also get darker and darker. And so it would seem, in all honesty, that asking if marking this day has value to the believer, um, that question would be unnecessary. But I think it is, uh, as are most things in the culture. And it's merely a symptom of something else that deserves a deeper dive. In an article by Dr. Haywood Robinson, I want to briefly summarize what I think is one of the most disturbing aspects, if not the most, of Halloween and how it feeds and builds on a culture of death that continues to cause tremendous grief and rotten fruit in our world and claim souls for Satan. The article is called Abortion and the Culture of Death, and Dr. Robinson says this, The chaos, rebellion, anarchy, and moral and ethical decline we're experiencing are associated symptoms of our death culture. What we are witnessing is not political or social, it is spiritual. 
Satan is simply doing his routine acts of stealing, killing, and destroying. He says, Unfortunately, I performed abortions before Jesus saved me. Not only did I kill babies and harm mothers, I desensitized and dehumanized them, and I too became desensitized and dehumanized. As an abortionist, my entire psyche and rationale became corrupt. When I was first exposed to abortion, there was a certain cerebral queasiness or hesitation, but that was quickly eroded. It's easy to become engulfed and assimilated into the death culture. What was once unthinkable and detestable becomes normal and commonplace. Yes, life begins at conception. Our DNA is set at conception, and that DNA, along with instructions for every part of who we are, also assigns us a given sex, male or female. Genesis one twenty seven says, In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me say as a medical doctor about the cultural aberration of transgenderism. One's given sex cannot be changed, no matter how much one gender tries to adhere to the other's looks and norms. This should be medical malpractice. It does not follow the science. Transgender individuals experience three times the incidence of anxiety and depression when compared to their non-transgender counterparts. End of article. I'm going to add here, in addition, researchers found that between 2008 and 2018, the suicide rate among 13- and 14-year-olds nationwide more than doubled, from roughly two deaths per 100,000 teens in 08 to five per 100,000 a decade later. Secondly, Canadian laws are in place for adults to request medical assistance in dying. The 2016 law was amended in 2021 to allow patients who have chronic conditions to request to die even if it's not a life-threatening condition. This includes depression. One man was granted his wish to die based on depression resulting from hearing loss. August of 2022. I also want to add to the shocking increase of violent crime, the nature of those crimes, the dehumanizing way people treat each other, Sometimes you can't even look at the headlines because, or, you know, the articles, you see the headline and what someone did to someone and you just, you just don't want that in your head. Now, some people might blame social media, but that again is a symptom of what I believe is a complete cultural disregard for the sanctity of life, beginning with legalizing abortion and combined with Satan's absolute hatred of human life and his desire, of course, for as many as possible to go into a Christless eternity. So let me ask you this. Can we look at society and see an increasing hopelessness and obsession with death? Absolutely. And even with the best of vigilance, our kids perceive this. I mean, they know the days are dark. They know that, um, and as parents, we know that children's programming has more and more a demonic element to it. Um, even movies like Avatar, I would never let my kids watch that. Um, it's enough to scare them half to death as it is. And they don't have the maturity in this life to process these things. So we do not want our kids to be desensitized to death and violence. Um, There are moral implications to this, and um, they're in our care. We have to be so careful about that. So is it wise to devote any day at all to the dark side of living and dying? These are issues that parents today deal with on a much greater scale than the, oh, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown generation. of the 60s and 70s, my generation. But it is still an occultic holiday. It does not matter what this meant to you as a young person. 
And all this pondering, um, the human obsession with death made me think about Genesis 3, uh, where we have the account of Eve and the serpent. And Satan, as you know, caused Eve to question what God had said to her about eating from that tree. But what did the serpent say after she gave her interpretation of what God told her? Because, you know, she added on to it. She said, and he said, we're not supposed to even touch it. Well, God did not say that. But what did God say? He said, you shall not surely die. Well, that made me curious. What did she know about death? Was she afraid of it, that she needed to be assured that it would not happen to her? Um, she knew that disobeying God had a consequence. She was an adult. I believe Adam and Eve were intelligent, morally accountable grown-ups. I think some people, you know, tend to think that they were, you know, the equivalent of, of seven-year-olds in the garden. That is, that is not true. But here's the interesting thing. In both Genesis 2 and 3, it doesn't just say, you shall not die. It says, surely die. Um, so there's an emphasis there. And it actually means, in dying, you shall die. And I had to look that up. Commentators explain this is a clear reference to spiritual death because obviously they didn't die instantly. And we know that God promised one who would conquer death already back in Genesis 3.15. But once they died spiritually, they had to be kicked out of the garden because they couldn't be allowed to live forever in a mortal fallen state. They had to be redeemed. You shall surely, the second death, Spiritual death, separation from God. The wages of sin is death. We were never meant to experience death and separation, but here we are. And the unredeemed will be paid for their sin. They're going to get wages. The wages are death. But man was without excuse. They know they are sinners, and they do fear death. Back to Halloween. Within the church, there are three main responses to Halloween. Reject it, accept it, or redeem it. Christianize it. Therefore, essentially denying its true meaning for whatever reasons. I don't think there's any point at all in redeeming it, personally. So I think we can summarize by saying that most of the debate surrounding the celebration of Halloween focuses on uh, this unhealthy fascination with evil and the hereafter and the lies about both. Its connection to paganism and the supernatural, I've made that case, I think are obvious. And you can continue to look up uh, Sawin or whatever you want to look up. But it's the lies about life and death that are problematic. You shall surely die if you do not know Christ. And only the scripture can correct that. So as, with all things, as with Halloween, a strong biblical worldview is essential, 365 days a year. Now, if parents who are adults are going to support Halloween to their kids, who, again, are not mature enough to process any of what I have already laid out here, sometimes I have to ask, who is this holiday for? Who is spending that money? Now, that might sound harsh. But look at it this way, as believers, as the grown-up in the room, how does Halloween mirror what we know to be true about the biblical origins of sin, death, and redemption? And if we aren't mirroring the Bible on it in life, and again, like I said, every day of the year, to our kids, our neighbors, our family, then we are, are we compromising the truth? I ask you, decide. And this is why I never gave in to pressure from my family, because I knew and had the truth. So Halloween, it's always had a relationship with occultism. Um, the public displays of occultic imagery um, should make it very questionable for the believer. I don't believe there is any spiritual benefit whatsoever. And I have a few verses for your consideration uh, as we wrap up Halloween uh, for 2023 here. Ephesians 5.11 Have no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. First Thessalonians 5. 20 and 21 and 22 say, 
Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I love that. Test it. Hold fast the good. And run from evil. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16 say, Look carefully then how you walk, or walk circumspectly, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. That's your reasoning. And also, uh, finally, Romans thirteen twelve: The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Study, pray, seek God's wisdom as you would with everything, especially if the kids are watching, unbelievers are watching. And it's a great opportunity to show them how to be faithful in seeking God about everything. And obedient then, like we were talking about uh, Crash and I at the beginning. You know, what do you do with what you know? Obedient in making decisions about everything. Filter everything through the lens of Scripture. So that's my... That's my take on Halloween. Um, do with that what you will. It is also Reformation Day. And that's not really an afterthought, but we did cover it um, with Mike Gendron last week on October 26th podcast, if you missed that, uh, and you're interested in a little bit more about Reformation Day. It's a pivotal day in Christian history. Uh, Reformation scholars say Luther chose this day on purpose. Halloween, because of all the crowds that would be uh, in churches the very next day. Doing what? Well, selling indulgences and worshiping relics. And that would be on All Saints Day. Now, indulgences exploited people's fear of judgment and purgatory. And churchgoers could purchase them in order to supposedly spring people out of purgatory more quickly. Of course, we know that that's just a form of religion. And of course, we know that who would ever know if it worked, right? It's all about, it's all about money. So the Protestant Reformation was, uh, and is, was primarily the rediscovery of the doctrine of justification. And that is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it was also the protest against, uh, the corruption within the Catholic Church. So, um, a lot going on today, and we're going to do some headlines in the second half. But thinking about Reformation Day, and you know I love hymns, and I love the history of hymns, and grace greater than our sin is the one that came to mind. Um, and a lot of you know that one. Words by Julia Johnston, music by Daniel Towner. I'm just going to read the history of that because it really is all about grace uh, before we go to our break. In the early 1870s, a young man named David Caleb Cook was inviting kids from the streets of Chicago to a Sunday school class he taught. Frustrated with the lack of appropriate lesson materials, he began to write his own. Conveniently, he worked in his father's print shop so he could print the copies he needed and extra ones to share with other teachers. In 1875, the David C. Cook Publishing Company was born. That same year, a former shoe salesman named Dwight L. Moody returned from a preaching tour of England. He had given up souls, S-O-L-E-S, for souls, sometime earlier, and had been a well-known evangelist in Chicago since the late 1860s. But the British tour made him a celebrity on both sides of the Atlantic. The following decades, he saw the growth of an empire, orphanages, social organizations, churches, a college, and plenty of revival meetings. Moody's message was simple, the grace of God. Sin ruins us, Christ redeems us, and the Spirit shows us how to live. From her home in Peoria, Illinois, Julia Johnston served the church in many ways, as a Sunday school teacher and administrator, 
as a mission executive, as a writer. She wrote about 500 hymn texts in her life, but she also wrote many Sunday school lessons for the David C. Cook Publishing Company. From the words of this hymn, it's clear that she knew the Bible inside and out. Grace greater than our sin is as fine a meditation on Romans 5 and 6 as you're likely to see. As a young man, Daniel Towner studied music with some greats, including George Root of the Fanny, of Fanny Crosby's frequent collaborators. Towner served as director of music at churches in New York, Ohio, and Kentucky before coming to Chicago to head the music department at Moody Bible Institute. There, connected to Moody, he was able to publish numerous hymns. He wrote an estimated 2,000 tunes and put out 14 hymn collections. One of these, Hymns Tried and True, published in 1911, introduced Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Four different people, David, David Cook, Dwight Moody, Julia Johnson, and Daniel Towner, were all touched by the power of the same message, the overwhelming grace of God. Working within their various specialties, they created ways to get the message out in song, print, spoken word. No matter how bad your sins have been, God's grace is greater. And uh, if you don't know the first verse, it just goes by, Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And I wanted to read that to you. Um, and I actually have one to end the podcast with later that I think is also very appropriate uh, concerning what we've been talking about today. Um, but, you know, I, I just i am so grateful for Reformation Day. I know that a lot of my family um, did not get saved, but to have the scriptures, and we talked about this with Mike uh, last week, Mike Gendron, to have the scriptures in our hands is just the most incredible thing. And, and it's sad, and he and I talked about this, it's kind of sad that I don't even know how many translations or versions there even are anymore. I remember... Uh, doing some homework on it several years ago, and there were 80 versions of the Bible. And this had to do with not just translations. It had to do with versions of, um, you know, the youth version, the women's Bible, the uh, ethnic Bibles or whatever. And yet there is more biblical illiteracy than ever. And it's just a strange, strange downgrade when you think about it. Because back in Luther's day and, and the, the Reformation day um, the church fathers, people would have loved to have the scriptures. And now that there's so much of it, it seems to have lost its value. And I think that it would be just so incredible if people would, and maybe the times and the headlines were, are going to drive people back to the Bible. I don't know. But I also know that the seeker movement and, and other things that entered into the church starting in oh, I don't know, the mid-90s or so with Purpose Driven Life and things like that really caused a lot of, um, I don't know, churches to, to say, well, we're going to focus on something else. And so we have so much biblical illiteracy and we have prophetic illiteracy. And that scares me a little bit simply because of the times we're living in. And you're going to catch some of these headlines later and think, if you're trained to understand prophecy and you have a systematic survey of prophecy uh, in your head and in your heart, all of it makes perfect sense, and you're not caught off guard, and you're not frightened by any of it, because you know that God has a timetable. He has a timetable for Israel, which is very obvious at this point, uh, over the last 75 years that they've been in the land. 
we've all just been waiting and waiting and waiting for something to happen over there, not because we want any kind of violence or, or, or trouble or difficulty, but because we know it's part of a bigger picture. So hopefully if you, if you don't understand prophecy or even the headlines that I'm going to cover coming up soon, that you will um, seek to learn prophecy systematically, not just Revelation, Daniel, Ezekiel, um, the whole of Scripture and the plan that God has, including Israel, because it is so important. It is so incredibly important to understand these things. And so that you can, even even your kids at a certain age can understand some of this, and they can be ready too and not be afraid. And we need to be very strong and courageous. We don't know how much longer we have as a church. The church needs to be ready um, to do what they need to do. Uh, I think the the night is far gone. That's the verse, Romans thirteen twelve. That's the one. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Amen to that. So again, we're going to have some um, headlines. Leo Holman. We're going to talk about Pence. We're going to talk about anti-Semitism on college campuses all over the nation. That is just um, a little bit surprising to me. I got to tell you, that really, really caught me off guard. So we're going to take a break for a couple of minutes. I'm glad you're with me today, and we're going to tell you what's going on in the news, at least a minor fraction of it. So stay with me in the second half for more. And remember to check out the video versions of these podcasts, Fresh Podcast, Q90 FM Radio on YouTube, Q90 FM Radio on YouTube, CTRN Online on Rumble. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, and we are talking today about Halloween in the first half. And in the second half, I have some headlines. Um, it's difficult to pick headlines um, because sometimes by the time I pick them, the next day they are obsolete and there's something greater taking its place. Um, but also just because, you know, the priorities that, that we do have, we try to, um, go with priorities for the church, you know, Israel, prophecy, that sort of thing. But it is still a challenge. Um, Leo Holman, leoholman.com has, um, he was just a fantastic thinker. He has a great article that came out, it might have been yesterday or the day before, and he talks about, uh, the death culture, which is fascinating because, um, it fits right in with what I talked about for the first half. And it's called, Why Are Western Leaders So Eager to Go to War with Nuclear-Armed Russia and China? Good question. And then he adds, it's about depopulation, stupid. So we're talking about World War, we're talking about depopulation, and we're talking about nukes here, all in one headline. I mean, it's just a a very comprehensive headline, but let me just read some of what he says here. Um, It's very, very good. He says, with AI and robots, Israeli historian and WEF mouthpiece asks, What do we need so many humans for? You probably already know who that is. Israeli historian and World Economic Forum advisor Yuval Noah Harari is back in the public eye, making the forum's case for a depopulated world. Harari doesn't come right out and say, let's kill off half or more of the human beings on the planet. No, he's much more subtle and cagey in the way he approaches the subject. He just sort of backs into it. Now, if you read the article on uh, leoholman.com, he has uh, an audio clip there, which I'm just going to summarize very simply. 
he says, with AI, we just don't need people anymore, which is, of course, absurd. And then he says, let's just keep them hooked on drugs and playing computer games. So there's, you have the arrogance factor now. We'll throw that in there. The article goes on to say, elitist WEF mouthpieces like Harari must have a seething hatred for the human race. Perhaps someone should remind Harari that he is also human and in desperate need of a more human worldview. Instead of technology and its depopulation agenda, perhaps Harari should set his sight on Jesus Christ and what he teaches about the value of human life. This is the philosophy of nearly every government in the Western NATO alliance, the same alliance now angling for war with Russia, China, Iran, and others. The WEF also has the allegiance of many globalist U.S. governors from both blue and red states, who have traveled to Switzerland over the years to pander to Klaus Schwab, Harari, and the rest of the Davos death cult. Governors Brian Kemp of Georgia, Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, and J.B. Pritzker of Illinois attended the WEF's 2023 summit earlier this year. Eleven members of Congress also checked in at Davos this year, along with Senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia, Chris Coons of Delaware, and Kristen Sinema of Arizona. Billionaire business leaders from all industries joined the party. The most represented countries at the 2023 WEF, not including the host Switzerland, were the U.S. The U.S. had 27% of all attendees. The U.K. had 9.1% and Germany 4.3% of attendees. Today's leaders, uh, Leo says, today's leaders in Western governments and businesses incestuously enmeshed in private public partnerships are obsessed with net zero carbon emissions and the worship of technology, especially AI and quantum computing. And he references Patrick Woods here and his latest article on quantum computing. So you might want to go to um, Patrick's, Patrick's technocracy page and read that. It's absolutely fascinating. And Patrick will be on um, in November here, too, with us here at Stand Up. Leo says they are desperately looking for ways to eliminate large swaths of the very humans that they've always disdained and now no longer need. Eliminating carbon, and this is important, will cause mass die-offs in the years to come. Plants require carbon. Humans and livestock emit carbon. Net zero will bring famine and starvation to the world. But they can't wait on climate hysteria to do its job. Yeah, I agree, Leo, that that's moving kind of slowly. And then he makes this great point. If they can use the deep-seated hatred ingrained in various geopolitical hotspots, and he names them here, Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, Serbia, Kosovo, India, Pakistan, Israel, Gaza, to accomplish their depopulation goals, they will not pass on the opportunity in each one of these flashpoints. You see almost no effort to negotiate peaceful resolutions. Hmm. How interesting. The dogs are out of the doghouse and they are circling the wagons, salivating for human blood. In the eyes of the Obamas, Bidens, Bushes, Clintons, Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo, Nikki Haley, Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron, Olaf Scholz, Klaus Schwab, King Charles, and the rest of the Davos death cult, the more bloody and destructive the coming World War III, the better. They crave it like a vampire in need of a fresh vein, and they cannot wait to get it started. Unless these psychopaths are somehow miraculously removed from power, the U.S. and its allies will engage in another world war, and it will likely kill more people than World Wars I and II combined. The technology has advanced so much since the 40s that these monsters are able to do much more efficient 
be much more efficient in their eradication of human life. On the other side of this coming calamitous event, they plan to usher in their new digital reset, eliminating all cash, fossil fuels, and freedom. And Leo says it doesn't have to be so. America faces no threat from abroad. The only threat we face is from inside our borders where sleeper cells have been allowed to infiltrate by global traders in our government, supporting disastrous immigration policies for decades. And then he closes with, let's pray that our new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, will be a positive force for change in Washington. He can do nothing alone, but this is the first good news I've had out of Washington for years. And God willing, it can be the step, a, fo- a first full, a first step toward the full exposure and removal of the bloodthirsty globalist neocon warhawks who currently rule the roost. Well, I'm not as optimistic as Leo on that because reversing this course will take, well, an eternity, and that's not going to happen. But I thought it was interesting because we know Mike Pence dropped out the other day, and I was not sad about that at all. I've I've never been a Mike Pence fan, but when you read Leo Holman, always read the comments because the people who read Leo I, I really do have complete thoughts. They're critical thinkers, and some of the comments are every bit as good as the article. But Leo himself says in, in response to one of the comments, he says, Mike Pence is a globalist, period, full stop. He's been campaigning on a neocon endless war platform recently, showing his true his true colors. He also showed his true colors on January sixth. He also showed his true colors as governor of Indiana when he kowtowed to the LGBTQ mafia. If you still choose to believe in his fake public persona, that's up to you. But he's all in on provoking Russia and then sending our boys to die overseas. At best, Pence is part of the DC club that serves as controlled opposition. I will never withhold hard truths or sugarcoat the conclusions I've come to based on decades of researching globalism and its key players, even if it's unpopular or makes some of my readers uneasy or skeptical. Those are the types of readers I would just as soon see move on to other less substantive websites where everything is neatly divided up into conservative and liberal teams and nobody's mind it gets challenged by these things. So that's Leo and... Um, I really enjoy, like I said, I really enjoy it. Leo Holman, H-O-H-M-A-N-N dot com. I want to go on to some of this anti-Semitism because I, I truly did not really see this coming. I mean, the Holocaust and all of that wasn't all that long ago, but we all know that this is spiritual. But college campuses all over the nation are lighting up with really some of the most horrible things that I have heard in a very long time. And you know, if you said these things against Muslims or LGBTQ, um, it would be the end of you. Uh, you would be canceled from one end to the other. But uh, Todd Starnes talks, to, talks about Cornell students. He says, Cornell students threaten to stalk slit throats of Jewish classmates. Uh, police are investigating a series of horrific messages that specifically threaten Jewish students at Cornell University. The messages were posted on a campus forum and specifically targeted the university's Center for Jewish Living and the Kosher Dining Hall. Um, Cornell Daily Sun uh, says that other unnamed individuals threatened to rape female Jewish students and behead Jewish babies in front of their parents. If I see another synagogue, if I see, yeah, one, of, one, of the, one of the comments was, if I see another synagogue, Another rally for the Zionist globalist genocidal apartheid dictatorial entity known as Israel, I will bring an assault rifle to campus and shoot all you pig Jews, said one post. Uh, titled, If I See Another Jew. And the poster called themselves Hamas. 
Quote, Jews are human animals and deserve a pig's death. Liberation by any means, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. I don't even want to say that because that, that name is anti-Semitic as it is. Cornell President Martha, Martha Pollock condemned what she called a series of horrendous anti-Semitic, um, ooh, it cut off. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't, oh, and, oh, okay, horrendous anti-Semitic messages. That, that was her comment, President of, uh, Cornell. At this time, Cornell police are on the scene and investigating. Police will continue to remain on site to ensure our students and community members are safe. They've also notified the FBI of a potential hate crime. Threats of violence are intolerable. We will work to ensure that the person or people who posted them are punished to the full extent of the law. The university president said, our immediate focus is on keeping our community safe. Another post said, if you see a Jewish person on campus, follow them home and slit their throats. Rats need to be eliminated from Cornell. So that is just some ugly stuff. Also, uh, this is interesting too, billionaire Leo Leon Cooperman uh, pulling Columbia funding amid student protests. And he says uh, this billionaire who has given $50 million to Columbia University over, over the years, he says these kids have blank for brains. Columbia University graduate, billionaire investor, and Omega Advisor CEO Leon Cooperman had harsh words for Ivy League students who are sharing anti-Israel sentiment on campus. Um, he said, um, Cooperman said, we have one reliable ally in the Middle East, and that's Israel. We have only one democracy in the Middle East, that's Israel. And we have one economy tolerant of different people, gays, lesbians, etc., and that's Israel. They have no idea what these young kids are doing. Now, the real shame is I've given to Columbia approximately $50 million over many years, and I'm going to suspend my giving. I'll give to other organizations. Cooperman doubled down on his stance to no longer donate to the Ivy League school, expressing his disgust over staff members who refused to condemn terrorist acts. He says, I told Columbia they should fire this professor that made the comments he made. I mean, war is hell. War isn't good for anybody, he said, but to, uh, to praise what Hamas did is disgraceful and disgusting. And so the article goes on um, a little bit more about him. But, you know, it, I was glad to hear that, that someone decided to, to close up the checkbook. And people, a lot of people are scratching their heads as to where these young people got these notions. Um, and, of course, we're going to look at universities. We're going to point a lot to universities and the leftist culture um, and people who don't even understand who Israel is. Uh, here's another one. Rioters storm airport in Russia's Dagestan and hunt for Jews aboard flight from Israel. Well, they're coming from Tel Aviv. Of course, they're going to be Jews. Mob breaks into terminal and onto tarmac, responding to call to avenge Gaza. Airport eventually cleared. 60 arrested. Prime Minister urges Moscow to protect all Israeli citizens and all Jews. And it says, um, uh, I don't know where this article came from, but it says hundreds of people stormed onto the main airport in Russia's Dagestan region and onto the landing field on Sunday evening in an attempt to confront Jewish passengers aboard a flight from Gaza. The violence is in the mostly Muslim region, which erupted amidst the war between Israel and Hamas, prompted Israel to call on Russia to protect its citizens. The protesters, many of, of them chanting Allahu Akbar, broke through the doors and barriers, with some running onto the runway, according to videos posted on social media and Russia's RT media. 
There were hundreds at the airport. Fifty men approached the airplane and asked passengers if they were Jews. I said, no, I'm Russian. They wanted to see my passport. I also had a Russian passport. They hung around for a while and then pulled back at a certain point. None of the passengers were hurt. Uh, according to Alex Bendersky, a Russian-speaking Israeli who covered the event on Carmel News. According to Carmel News, aboard the plane were Dagestani children who had undergone medical treatment in Israel. Overnight Sunday and Monday, Dagestan's interior ministry said that more than 150 active participants in the unrest had been identified and 60 arrested. Many of the men in the crowd had Palestinian flags. They came after another telegram channel called for the men to arrive at the airport to confront passengers of a certain flight by Red Wings, a Russian airline, which took them from Tel Aviv, took off from Tel Aviv. The messengers, the messengers called on rioters to avenge Gaza. Um, and so you get the general picture on that. And I think one of the most interesting out of all this is one called Europe Facing Civil War? Question mark. And I think this actually ties a few things together. And this is Gatestone Institute and by Drew Godefredi. And it says, former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger explained in an interview recently that Europe had made a serious mistake by creating within itself, through mass immigration, populations that reject all norms, values, and a constitutional basis. No kidding, Henry. Finally, Europeans, he says, will have to do the unthinkable, actually apply their laws, if anyone, Muslim or non-Muslim, wants to celebrate the jihadist pogroms against Jews, well, they can go rejoice in Iran or Qatar, but not in Europe. Every death to the Jews or death to Israel uttered in Europe is an insult not only to Jews, but to us. What we are, our laws, our democracies, and the will of the people. In Vienna, London, Paris, Berlin, Brussels, and dozens of other European cities, demonstrations in support of Palestine, were organized even before the Israelis responded to the jihadist pogrom perpetrated by Hamas on October 7th, while the corpses of more than 1,400 Israeli victims were still warm. According to a JNS report, and that's the uh, Jewish News Service, quote, the IDF on Monday, October 23rd, published two segments from the interrogation of Hamas terrorists who participated in the massacre. The purpose of entering Israeli territory was to kidnap civilians to get as many hostages as possible, one of the terrorists revealed. They promised us whoever brings a kidnapped person will receive an apartment and $10,000. So that's that's the cost of a Jewish life. A roof, four walls, a fridge, and $10,000. Okay, um... All the same, it says, each and every one of these demonstrations in Europe was the scene of hate-filled slogans against Israel and Jews. In Brussels, those slogans were shouted, and the atmosphere of violence and bloodlust was everywhere. Um, And this is the author of this article. Around me, surrounded by 2,000 hate-filled demonstrators, a group of a dozen young Arabs shouted, death to the Jews, death to Israel, exchanging knowing smiles and a few jokes. One of them ordered me to stop filming, which I did. He says, I feel a certain fatigue toward those who hold Israelis and Arabs equally responsible. Not just the European left, which doesn't hide their anti-Semitism, but those on the right who, out of cowardice or ignorance, say that Israel had it coming. And, of course, he says Israel bears no responsibility whatsoever for the pogrom it suffered on October 7th. 
It entire it, it lies entirely not only with the psychopaths of Hamas, but at least as much with the Islamic Republic of Iran, the puppet master and inspiring hegemon of the region. And then he says, now let's go back to Europe, okay, knowing all that. In most Western European countries, support for terrorism and incitement to hatred and violence against non-Muslims have gone from being offenses to being support for and and diversity and multiculturalism. 99% of those who commit these offenses are never prosecuted, let alone convicted. Death to the Jews and gas to the Jews has become acceptable in the West. How do we fix this? Okay, because we started with Henry Kissinger saying, well, you know, you should have known that this was going to happen. And same in this country when you have open borders like this. It's it's just a... Um, he says, first, a moratorium on immigration. Europeans have the greatest difficulty integrating populations already present in their countries, and they may not even be able to do so. They don't want to integrate into Western slash European culture. They want Europeans to integrate into theirs. Trojan horse. That's what I was trying to think of before. Immigration is a Trojan horse in the nations. Anyway, um, they want Europeans to integrate into their culture. It should by now be obvious that adding millions of newcomers every year will not solve the problem. Absolutely. Again, this is Gatestone Institute, excellent article. And he calls it like it is, a European civil war, an American civil war, violence. Uh, in the days of Noah, the earth was filled with violence. I, I just, there may have been a time not too terribly long ago when I didn't even know what that meant, but I do now. Another headline, uh, Magog Rising, Turkey threatens invent- intervention in Gaza. With all eyes on Israel's immediate foes, such as Hamas, Hezbollah, Iran, and the proxies in Lebanon, Iraq, and Syria, one nation that could present an even bigger challenge is Turkey. It is one of the largest in the region, on par with both Egypt and Iran, and considered one of the top 15 militaries in the world. Did not know that. Uh, the president delivered a speech over the weekend at an anti-Israeli rally, of course, in which he told attendees that Israel was responsible for war crimes and Hamas is the freedom fighters. Same old, same old. But we're talking the Gog and Magog partner here in Turkey. Um, they were friendly towards Israel for a very long time, but they are uh, on the rise as a global power. Um, so key Bible prophecies going on there. Um, but I did want to cover Israel, anti-Semitism on the rise. It does surprise me. Like I said before, it really does surprise me. Started out with Halloween. We started out with the Druids and the Irish and how the Irish immigrants really brought Halloween to uh, America in the uh, late 19th century. This was one of their holidays, and uh, America just took it on. So switching back gears, one more hymn for you this morning, and I really think this is an appropriate way um, to end October 31st's podcast. This is Be Thou My Vision, and um, this is just a great story. In 1995, there was a surprise entry on the bestseller list, a history book entitled How the Irish Saved Civilization. Author Thomas Cahill had a simple premise. In the darkest days of the Dark Ages, when the Roman Empire had fallen apart and the Roman Church was in trouble, it was the missionary enterprise of Irish monks that preserved Western civilization as we know it. It's a matter of historical fact that the monasteries founded by missionaries from Ireland were established throughout the European mainland. As Germanic tribes were fighting over the remnants of a once great empire, the Christian faith that had once spread from Rome to the British Isles was now being brought back. These monasteries and churches became centers of faith and worship, but also enclaves of culture and learning 
Those Irish missionaries taught the Germanic Goths the ways of the Lord. Active early in this process was a monk called Columba. Born in 521 in Northern Ireland, he became a leader of the monastic movement in his home country. He was a smart, artistic, and passionate about Christ, but he also had a temper. According to some sources, one dispute with a local chieftain sparked a conflict in which 3,000 died. Blaming himself for this great loss, Columba exiled himself to Scotland, hoping to make up for this loss of life by bringing eternal life to others. He was determined to focus on what God wanted rather than on his own selfish desires and the anger that often came with them. Scotland was tough territory dominated by druid priests and local lords who wanted little to do with Christ. But Columba managed to establish a solid church there. Then others caught the vision. His courageous model became an inspiration for missionary monks to go out from Ireland and now from Scotland to re-evangelize Europe. Be Thou My Vision is an old Irish song in both text and tune. It was translated into English early in the 20th century, but the original song dates back as far as Columba, who was known to have a musical gift. His biographer describes a mystical experience Columba had in a three-day retreat in which certain spiritual songs which had never been heard before, he was heard to sing. He, he came to see different... Ups- Certain obscure and difficult parts of sacred scripture also were made quite plain and clearer than light to the eye of his pure heart. Vision is a trendy word these days. Businesses need vision. Leaders leaders communicate vision. But there's nothing really new there. Columba looked for the Lord for his vision, and it truly changed our world. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. Be thou my vision, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision. O ruler of all. I love that hymn, and I hope that that is just a really encouraging thing to think about on Halloween, whether you give out gospel tracts or you hide in your basement with the lights off and a TV dinner at the ready, which just might be what we do tonight. I don't know. Um, but praise the Lord. Um, thou my best thought by day or by night. Boy, that is the absolute truth. The Lord Jesus is our best thought, and he needs to be number one. No matter what day of the year it is, we'll enter the holidays, and we'll have our share of distractions, and and just life itself, and the things that God has for us in our world and as a church. You know, we need to be found faithful. We need to be busy about our Father's business. So that wraps up um, today's Halloween and Headlines podcast. I hope you got something out of it. Um, we have J.B. Hickson this week again. It's that time again. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's always fascinating. And Jason Jimenez, on Friday, he's got Parenting Gen Z. And um, we had him before uh, this fall with another book. But Parenting Gen Z, I'm really looking forward to diving into that. So I hope that you will join us and that you will support the Q. We are 100% listener supported, Q90FM, and you can donate there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen and amen. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. 
Have a great day on purpose. And happy Reformation Day. For 30 years now, we've kept our promise. Our on-air fundraisers are only three days. That's the Q difference. We share the need, you respond. Since 1994, Q listeners have been financially supporting what we do here locally. Through the years, our programming and music have been adapting to counteract the growing wokeness in the world and standing firm on God's truth, His Word, the Bible. Q Drive is behind us for a while, but your ongoing prayers and financial support is needed every day. Start your giving ministry today, safe and secure, at q90fm.com slash donate. Christian Truth Radio, q 90 FM.